Uh, we've been looking at a series over the autumn term called What a Stunner. Um, and essentially, it, it, it's all about, if you like, um, the belief that the gospel is multifaceted. So it has different, um, di- di- different expressions or different angles, if you like. You think of it like a diamond. Um, if you look at a diamond from different angles, you can see uh, different uh, beauty, different reflections, different light shining through. Um, and that's very much like the gospel. You can pick up very, very much... Uh, different strands that are each wonderful and each glorious um, in their own right and then kind of trace them um, through the entire Bible. Um, And so that's what we've been doing. We've been following a pattern, looking at creation right at the beginning of things, um, right through to Israel, the nation of Israel, then Jesus, and then finally new creation. We're going to follow a similar pattern um, this afternoon. Um, Today's topic is we're looking at exile and homecoming. Um, so we're looking at uh, exile, first of all. First of all, exile, what do we understand by exile? Exile is essentially uh, when you're living somewhere that you're not meant to live, either by punishment or you're being um, captured out of somewhere. It, essentially, you aren't living where you're supposed to live. I know, I know it might seem a little bit... Uh, Obvious in contrast to homecoming, uh, when you're then homecoming, you obviously are coming home. Um, You are then where you are supposed to live. Um, And very much the gospel can be seen in that light as an exile um, from where we were meant to to now living where we are not meant to live and to then coming home um, in Jesus, as we'll see a little bit later on, when we come home to be where we are meant to live. Okay? Um, So essentially... What we see right at the beginning is that we are exiled. We'll talk a little bit more in detail about it, but then really the whole of history is about trying to get home, is about coming home, so our eventual um, home that we'll read about right at the end of the Bible. Um, I have uh, a a little game, if anyone wants to play. Um, There might be some that want to play, there might not. Um, There are two envelopes uh, under seats uh, which need to be discovered. Um, If you have one under your seat, just shout. It may be under a seat next to you if there's spare seats around. Have a little hunt. They're stuck to the reverse of the seats. Anyone found an envelope? This is not going so great. There are some envelopes around. Anybody with an envelope? Look under the seat next to you. Guys, come on. They are literally sellotapes or just stuck to the reverse. Oh my goodness. Anybody with any unmarked envelopes? All right, does anybody need it? We've got one. Okay. So they're not... Okay, so it might be on the floor. It's fallen off. Uh, We've got one. We've got a second one. Come on. Do you you need a hint? Goodness me. It's somewhere in this middle block. Which means you guys, you've let the team down, unfortunately. Oh, dear. Is it you, Frank? Oh, Frank. Uh, You just assume the probability wouldn't work in your favour. Great. Okay. If you've got those envelopes, why don't you open them up quickly? Um, And then once you've opened it, why don't you just stand to your feet and shout out what's written 
on those envelopes. Hopefully you can. Freedom! Great. Thank you, Chris. Brilliant. Beat that. Family! <laughs> Family. For anybody that didn't quite get that, that was, that was freedom and family. Okay? So this afternoon we're going to be looking at homecoming um, as freedom and family, or at least home as freedom and family. Um, so uh, first of all, freedom. So, uh, so our homes should be places of freedom, places we can be ourselves, places we can be um, just around at peace and just calm and relaxed. Um, and secondly, it should be family. There should be people around. There should be um, people around. When we go home for the holidays or we go home for Christmas, we're talking about going back to families. We're going back to see people and things like that. So our home should be about freedom and family. I recognize that that's not always the case in our society, and we'll come on to some of that a little bit later. Um, Okay, so let's look right at the beginning at creation. Um, So the garden was created as a home for Adam and Eve. Right back in Genesis, um, I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis 2. Um, I I did have a PowerPoint, although it got corrupted, so I'm going to read, um, and uh, you can just follow along with me if you have Bibles. Um, From Genesis 2, we're going to be looking at um, from verses 8 onwards. We'll skip a few verses uh, in the middle. So from verse 8 in Genesis 2. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, that's going to be very important later on, was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we get a few more details, and we'll jump down to verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should uh, be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones or flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So right in the beginning in Genesis 2 we see this pattern of, um, of their home being about freedom and family. First of all freedom in that they were together, they were both naked and they felt no shame. There was, there, there was an innocence about, about them being together in the garden. There was, uh, they, they had no knowledge really and they were pretty carefree. They had no idea of what was uh, necessarily right or wrong. They were just themselves with each other. And there was complete freedom um, to be who they were. And second of all, they were family. God creates Adam and Eve. They were to be in community that lived together. And it later says that God walked in the garden with them. And there was community there. There was a family feel. There was a family atmosphere. There were other people around. At this point, as we, as we go on in the story, we get to Genesis 3. Um, and what happens is that Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. And uh, he tempts them 
to do the one thing they were asked not to do. Um, if we'd look back to Genesis 2, and verses 16 and 17, uh, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And so there's this one thing they're not supposed to do, and that's to eat of this tree. And Satan tempts them, they eat of this tree, and all of a sudden there's consequences to their disobedience. There's consequences to them then eating of that fruit. Um, The first uh, consequence is that their freedom is lost. Um, They're no longer innocent. They now know the difference between good and evil. Um, And if we read on in uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, there it is, in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All of a sudden, it's not that their freedom, their innocence is now lost. It's gone. They understand that they're naked and that they're essentially laid bare. And in doing that, they know they've disobeyed God. And they know that there's going to be consequences. And so their their freedom, in that sense, has been lost. And then second of all, the the, the idea of family being lost. We read later there's a lot of relationship tension that comes in. um, But ultimately, their their family relationship with God has um, has now been lost. Um, And so where they were in the garden before and they would walk with God, they would talk with God, they would be in community with him, they're now separated, they're now distant from him. And so they're they're now living in exile. They've lost their freedom, they've lost their family, um, and they're essentially put out of the garden, we read um, at the end of chapter 3. And God puts um, an angel to guard the way back into the garden so that they can't come back. Now... At this point, it's important we understand, when we disobey God, there are consequences. There are consequences because God is perfect. There are consequences because God is holy. What that means is, when we're disobedient, or when we, what the Bible calls sin, when we do wrong, that wrongdoing, that sin, can't be in God's presence. And so we we have to be removed from God's presence. And so our disobedience causes this great chasm between God and us. And that's just exactly what's happened here. Adam and Eve are now essentially living in exile. And as I said at the start, the rest of human history is, if you like, Adam and Eve trying to get back to the garden, ways and methods um, of that. Okay, so that's creation. Um, Let's now look at Israel. Um, some of you will know, if you know a little bit of the history, if you've been around for this series, you will have heard a lot of things um, about the nation of Israel. Um, for this, I'm going to need 12 volunteers. So I, I need the first 12 people to be... I've got hands up at the back already. You guys are slow. Um, if you want to be a volunteer, then you need to come and stand down here. I need 12 people. Go on, Rachel Cars. Yeah, go on. Just jump up and run down. We can have more than 12, but uh, I need at least 12. So run on down. How many have we got so far? One, two, We've got a whole bunch of people. Yes. Stacks more. Okay. So this is our nation of Israel. Aren't they a lovely bunch? Um, why 12? Well, Israel is an, 
Okay, there's 10. And we got 12 now. Whee! It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Perfect. It, it doesn't have to be accurate, but what a lovely bunch. Essentially, what we've got is 12 people. Why 12? Well, Israel was essentially made of 12 families. Okay, so each of these guys um, have children, and they have children, and they have children, and they have children. And you have this massive um, nation under them. Um, and essentially, God comes to them as a nation and says, Okay, guys, um, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. You see, God wants us home. He wants us to be with him. Um, and as his people, he says, okay, well, this is, this is how it's going to work. Uh, I'm going to give you rules. I'm going to give you the law um, to live by. And as you do that, um, then we can, we can talk. We can live together. We can be in community together. Um, and it's almost like it, it, it's a little bit of a, a halfway house because, if you like, their disobedience that Adam and Eve introduced, they're kind of still living with. And so imagine I'm God over here, and they are the nation of Israel. There's this huge distance between, maybe not that quite, that far. Um, there's this huge distance between us, and there's this great kind of chasm that divides us. And the nation of Israel are all the way over there, but they're still nowhere near walking in community and a love and relationship with God. And it's almost like every time they come a little bit closer, yeah, they can only come so far before essentially they then disobey again. And that's what we read throughout the entire Old Testament. The, the, the first part of the Bible is essentially the nation of Israel coming closer and closer and then further and further. And we see that throughout the Old Testament time and time again until eventually what happens is they're right the way down that way somewhere. Guys, you're a nation. You can get a little bit closer together if you want team huddle. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. And, and, and essentially we, I'm just going to pick out two points uh, in the Old Testament that talk explicitly about them being in exile or them living in a place that, that, that is not quite home. Um, so first of all I'm going to look in Deuteronomy uh, and just read a few verses um, in Deuteronomy 29 verses 25 to 28 um, it says, then people will say It is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them, that he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them. Gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his land, bringing upon it all curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. Okay? So they've lost their home. They're now put out of their home through their disobedience. And then fast forward a few hundred years. Um, at this point uh, in Nehemiah, we've actually already lost most of this nation. So if 10 of you would like to go and sit down. I know it's a sad day. But essentially... Ten of them, that's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. The, the, the remnant can stay, that's fine. <laughs> but essentially, there's this remnant that are left. Um, everybody else is dispersed, defeated by other nations, taken off, um, and, and just basically scattered. Um, and then Nehemiah, um, a guy who has these, these three lovely, well, there were two of them, but three anyway, um, these three lovely uh, sons or families, if you like, that, that are parts of the nation of Israel, um, this, is what, this is the point at which Nehemiah speaks into their situation. And in Nehemiah 9, um, 
verse 36, here we go. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our forefathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the king's whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Okay? So we've got these guys that are still living in slavery. They still are oppressed by other nations, and there's only a few of them left. It's, it's a little bit pitiful, really. They're, they're, they were meant to be this great nation, and now they're just kind of in despair. They're at a bit of a loss. And now... We've been looking at other elements um, of the gospel, and actually at this point in history, there's a huge sense of prophetic weight that these guys are waiting to come home. There's been a lot of talk about them being brought home, coming back to a land that's their own, coming back free from oppression, um, coming back being family together, the whole nation together. um, And so you you almost get this anticipation of what's going to happen. Okay, thank you guys. You can go and sit down. Brilliant. Awesome. And so at this point, they're kind of waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for what the Bible calls the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that is going to rise up and take these people home, take them to be where they're supposed to be, take them to be where they're meant to be living. And so enter Jesus. And so the people of Israel are waiting for God, for God to come um, and a Messiah to come and take his people home. And, and that's true in one sense, although actually a probably more real way in terms of how it actually happened was not that Jesus came to take people home. If you like, Jesus brought home to them. Jesus brought something of home, brought their identity, brought who they were, who their family, who they were meant to be, brought it to them. Um, and so essentially this, this people which represents all of mankind we were so lost, so caught up in our own disobedience that we had no hope almost of finding our own way just like the Israelites it got worse and worse and worse there's almost no hope for us and we're at a point of despair and so Jesus has to come and bring home to us the Israelites were essentially waiting for a physical home they were waiting for a land that was theirs um, they were waiting for something that they could call their own. Um, and, and they had a little bit of a shock, I guess. Um, in John 10, Jesus said, um, Jesus said, I am the door. He, sp- he said that he was the door. And that anybody that came in or out would find pasture through him. And actually, he was the access. And that was a bit of a shock, really, because what it meant was... Jesus himself was providing for them a way. He was providing a way for them essentially to come home. If you think, you can think of it like the threshold of a door. You come to Jesus, if you step over that door, if you come into Jesus, you step over the threshold and into home. And actually that's what I mean when Jesus was bringing home to his people. Because if they started to put their trust in him, then they would actually come home to him. And in Jesus, we find freedom. We read a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus said, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They found freedom. They found who they were supposed to be. They found their identity. 
I, I, I loved Sally's testimony last week when she said that when she became a Christian, it was like she suddenly realized who she was supposed to be. It was like she understood who God had made her. She understood what she was supposed to do. And I love that. It's a beautiful picture of somebody not just, not, not, not just finding salvation, but actually finding their identity, discovering who they are, coming into true freedom. It's incredible. And then secondly, we find a family. In Jesus, we find a family. Jesus said in Matthew 12, um, verses 46 to 50, I'll read it quickly. Um, essentially, what's happened is Jesus is... Um, Jesus, Jesus is out uh, preaching with people, um, and it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man um, who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my, mo- is my brother and sister and mother. There's something that in Christ we become family. You see, he points to his disciples. He points to those that are following him. He points to those that are, that are, by all intents and purposes, hanging on his word and following and trusting in him. And he says, These are my, this is my family. This is where I belong. This is my identity. This is who I'm with. Um, and it's a very profound thing that he's doing. Um, and what he's saying is actually, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. There's no hierarchy here. We're just brothers and sisters. And it's a beautiful thing that actually we're family. And family does so much for each other. And we'll look at that in a little bit. Um, But essentially, so taking this idea of Jesus being the door a little bit further, when you walk into a big house or somewhere new, your your instinct, well, I don't know about you guys, but mine definitely is to explore. If I was to ever go into a stately home or something, the first thing I want to do is have a look around, look in every room, open doors, open cupboards, just have a hunt around and see what's there. Um, well, I can remember, I'll tell you a story, at school, um, I went to a boarding school, so I slept at school um, with all of my friends and everything, which was great, um, but there were underground passages in the school, and it was like this uncharted territory it was like it wasn't used on a day-to-day basis. Nobody had been down there for years, um, but we found an access point. And so, and so our instincts, when when everybody had gone to bed, so it was quite late. Um, we basically we went down, we took off one of the covers, and we basically climbed down into the underground passages, and we found this kind of whole another world under the school. It was quite cool. Um, but it was, there was that instinct to kind of discover everything about it and kind of like almost just, just discover everything that was there and look in every um, nook and cranny and see what it was about um, and, and things like that. And I guess when we become Christians, it's similar in that there's so much to discover. There's so much. It is uncharted territory. We've never been in a place like this. We've never understood necessarily who we were meant to be. We've never had a family like this. And there's so much to discover. And coming to Jesus, stepping over the threshold, is the start of something incredible. And so, what happens at that point when we come to Jesus, when we put our trust in him? Well, Colossians really sums it up for us. In Colossians 1, verses 13 uh, to 14, it says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
our sins, so that disobedience that Adam and Eve made right back in the garden, we've been forgiven for our disobedience. We've been forgiven for that. And in doing so, we've been transferred from being distant from God to coming right in to the home, stepping right over the threshold, coming into all that the house has to offer, you know, hunting around all the different areas, you know, raiding the fridge, doing whatever you do um, when, you, when you come home, when you come to somewhere that you're familiar with. Um, and that's essentially what's happened. And in doing so, as we mature in believers, as we uh, grow uh, with one another, we find who God's made us to be. We find who we were supposed to be. And also we're brought into a family. We're brought into a community that goes beyond just mum, dad, brothers and sisters, beyond a nuclear family into something much wider. All of a sudden we've got brothers and sisters all over the world, and it's exciting. Now, that community is there to love for you, to love you, to care for you, to share with you, pray with you, advise you, challenge you, help you, and everything else a family is supposed to do. Which is, which is exciting. It gives us a huge task because all of a sudden we now get to be family together. We get to look out for one another, partner with one another, work with one another, share with one another and all that that means. And at Revelation Church what we're finding is, maybe not so much today, but on Sundays we're finding that we're just getting so much bigger that actually we're starting to work out community through gospel communities. We're starting to find our smaller family, if you like, within the larger family. We're starting to work out community in smaller pockets. Now, our gospel communities are, in a nutshell, they are communities on mission. So as gospel communities, we're starting to work out our community together in smaller groups, in smaller families. We're starting to do the things that families do just in a smaller setting. Because on a Sunday, it can often be quite hard to get in touch with everybody, get around, see everybody, and invite the whole church around for lunch. That's not so easy. Which is why we would tend to do smaller communities or gospel communities, communities on mission together. Um, The end goal of this, we're going to jump forward to Revelation 22. What's the aim of this? What's the purpose? Where's this going? What's the finality to this? Well, I just want to read a few verses from Revelation 22, um, the first five verses. It says, Then the angel showed me the river um, of the water of life. This is a vision that John has, um, who's one of Jesus' disciples. um, And basically, God shows him what will happen. He shows him what's going to happen in the future. And so if you want to know what we're going for, if you want to know what our future is, this is, this is it. Revelation 21 and 22. So the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The tree of life there. Um, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp, light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever 
and ever. So we have this picture of where we were exiled or where we were sent away from this tree of life, we're now brought back to the tree of life. It's almost like what, what we've been trying to do for the whole of human history has now been fulfilled, has now come to pass. We're brought back into the place where we find the tree of life. Now, there, there, there was a little indicator a little bit earlier. Um, Tanika kind of ruined the ending for me, um, but she didn't even know about it. I didn't plant her. Um, but essentially, right at the end there in verse... Um, Three, we read that, um, and his servants will worship him. When we talk about identity, when we talk about what we were meant to do, it's to be worshippers. That's what we're supposed to do. And worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is about a lifestyle orientated to God. Now, one expression of that as, as, as a family is through singing. And we read it time and time again. People sing songs of, of praise, songs of adoration. Um, and so we are to be worshippers. We are to be worshippers. We will worship for eternity um, before God. When we finally find true freedom at that day, when we find our true family at that day, when everything has been perfected. So if you guys want to stand, I'm going to pray. The band are going to come back up. Um, we're going to sing a couple more songs. It would be great as a family um, at this point to just take bread and wine. Um, we don't often have the kids in, so maybe you want to grab your kids if you've got kids, or uh, maybe grab a brother or sister uh, and just take them and just take the bread and wine together and just remember Jesus' death on the cross. Remember his body broken, his blood shed. Because that's how he dealt with our disobedience. That's how he dealt with all of our sin, our wrongdoing. On the cross... He defeated sin. He did away with it. That chasm that separated us from God, he dealt with it. When, he, when, when his body was broken, his blood was shed, and he died in our place, died the death that we had died. And so let's, let's take a and wine to remember, since it's Christmas, you might want to just pray um, about uh, each other's Christmases if something's coming up, or um, you know, maybe you're going back to a tricky family situation. Just feel the freedom with one another to share honestly and openly and have others pray for you and speak into your situation. Um, I'm going to pray and then these guys are going to help us. Lord, we thank you that in you, Lord, we find true freedom. Lord, we find who we were meant to be. Lord, we thank you that in you, Lord, we are given a family, Lord, that spans the nations, Lord, that spans the entire globe. Lord, that there are brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue and nation and one day, Lord, we will all be together and we will all sing songs of adoration and we will worship you, Lord, with one song. And Lord, we just, Lord, we just want to give you glory this afternoon. And Lord, we just remember, Lord, just a few days before Christmas, Lord, just the incredible rescue mission that you came on. Lord, to rescue us who were exiled, Lord, who were so far away, Lord, to bring us home. Lord, to bring us into your presence, to bring us, Lord, into the comfort of, of where you belong. Lord, so that we can have community with you. Lord, so that we can um, become heirs with you. Lord, so that we are adopted into your family. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we have come home. Lord, we thank you that we are now home with you. Lord, thank you that as brothers and sisters, Lord, you brought us home. Lord, thank you, God. Amen.